It's a joy to be with you again this morning. Thank you so much for joining with us. And thank you to Michael for leading our service up to this point. Um, we're going to turn to God's word together. Uh, and as we do, you'll, you'll know that throughout this Advent season, uh, which is a time for us to prepare ourselves to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, uh, then we return in once again to some of these well-known nativity passages uh, that some of us might be so familiar with. But these help us to describe and help us to see the wonder of this history-shaping event. And as we've been spending time in the early chapters of Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, we've been examining how the first Christmas for, for many of the individuals involved seemed to be a surprise. In many ways, it seemed like it was an unexpected Christmas for them. However, we've also been recognising the reality that God had been preparing for this first Christmas for centuries. None of what unfolds in these nativity passages, indeed throughout all of history, none of what unfolds is a surprise for him, is unexpected for him. And so, so far we've, set, we've spent some time considering Mary's unexpected angelic visit uh, when she found out that she would carry this miraculous baby boy. Uh, last week then, Jack helped us to navigate our way through Joseph's part in this story as he received not only the news of, news of Mary's pregnancy, but uh, the angelic visit of his own uh, to help explain the significance and the truth of what was going on and who this baby would be. This week, we're going to turn to the shepherds. Uh, and I wonder what comes to mind when you think of the role of the shepherds in the first Christmas in the nativity story. And no doubt for some of us, we're casting our minds back to the nativity plays and we can already picture the, the oversized dressing gowns and the tea towels tied to your heads with, with somebody's tie. Um, maybe you can remember the angelic visit that the angels, or, sorry, that the shepherds receive uh, as they're tending their sheep outside Bethlehem. Um, maybe we picture them as part of the nativity scenes that we make up. Um, and, and for some reason, in a lot of those nativity scenes, they seem to be carrying a sheep under their arm. Maybe that's just to designate them as a shepherd. Um, but I wonder if we're sometimes in all of that, are we sometimes at risk of downplaying the role of the shepherds? And I don't just mean in our nativity place, uh, but in our appreciation of the first Christmas story. Uh, and are we at risk of downplaying their significance, their place in it? You see, the shepherds, they're not just a sideline character or a group of sideline characters in the nativity, or they're not just there to help fill up the manger scene. They have an incredibly important role in the story, and actually they have a very clear and a very challenging example for those of us who follow. See, we're going to read about the account of the shepherds, which is found in Luke chapter 2, and we're jumping ahead a little bit in the story uh, so last week we left uh, the end of chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel as, as Joseph is told to name uh, Jesus, the newborn baby. Then the start of Luke chapter 2 fills in a little bit of the detail of how, the, how this family came to be in Bethlehem. It, it's the kind of the census that was ordered to be taken uh, and everyone is demanded to go back to their hometown to register. And that meant that for Joseph he had to return to Bethlehem. Luke records in verse 4 that was the town of David. He goes on to say that he, Joseph had to go there because he belonged to the house and line of David, again in verse 4. Uh, we learned that from Matthew as well last week. And so Joseph takes, is taking Mary um, on this big journey. Mary who is quickly approaching her due date. Uh, and it's actually while they're in Bethlehem that the baby is born. We see in verse 6 that time had come for the baby to be born. And so Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And perhaps it all seemed a little unexpected, but remember, this is exactly what God had said would happen through his prophet Micah about 700 years earlier. So Jesus has been born. 
God in human flesh has appeared onto the physical stage of the world. And so now what? Now what is going to be the next stage? Who's going to find out the news first? How, how is the, the news of this baby to be born, how is that going to ripple out from this little town in Judea to the rest of the world? And into that setting, enter the shepherds. Can I invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to open it to Luke chapter 2. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word uh, in your home or with you, uh, please do let us know. We'd love to, to give one to you if you don't have one yet. Um, but these may well be familiar words for many of us, as we've said. Um, but I hope that you're able to hear them with, with fresh ears this morning as we come to this wonderful account. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read from verses 8 through to verse 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This passage contains uh, some of my personal favourite verses of the advent of, of the Christmas season, if you're allowed to have favourites. And it's the proclamation of the angel in verses 10 and 11. Do not be afraid. I give you, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. These words seem to characterise so much of what Christmas is really all about. It is good news. It is the birth of the Saviour, the Messiah, the Lord. And as I've said many times before, these verses show the reason for the season. That Christmas is a celebration of the gift of the Saviour to the world. This is indeed good news. And these titles that are given to the baby, to Jesus in these verses are so significant. They show who this baby is. They show what he came to accomplish. He is the Saviour, the Messiah, the Lord, the angel declares. And these titles show that this baby in the manger, Jesus, truly is the Son of God. He is the Saviour. He's the one who came to save, the one who came to rescue us from our sins. And we saw that last week as as the angel explained to Joseph that he had to call the baby Jesus. And we're told in Matthew one twenty one because he will save his people from their sins. He is the Saviour. He is the Messiah. The anointed one, that, that, that royal term that shows us Jesus' lofty position. He's to be exalted. He's to be worshipped. He is the Christ, which is the Greek term for the Messiah. He is the one who is promised centuries ago. He is the one the Jewish, the Jewish people had been longing for, for generations. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord, the ruler over all things. 
Indeed, this, this term Lord was used throughout the Greek Old Testament in place of the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. This is who this baby is, God in human form. He is the Saviour, the Messiah, the Lord. This baby is the fulfilment of everything that had been promised by God. And, and this is the God who was working out his salvation plan in his world. This baby is the one. This is good news. And we should indeed love this angelic declaration. And this morning as we reflect on these great words, uh, in a sense I, I want to zoom out a little bit and take into account this whole passage that we've read this morning and see it as one unit. You see, as I've been reflecting on these verses and preparing for this morning, I, I was struck by a sense of repetition that we find in these verses. Um, perhaps maybe we stop reading too quickly at verse 14. Uh, when the angel is joined by the great company of heavenly hosts and they sing their praises to God. It's, it's a wonderful place to finish and to pause and to reflect. But as we continue on from there, from verse 15 to 20, then we see the response of the shepherds to the news that they had heard. And, and if we take that point at the end of verse 14, start of verse 15, if we take that as the midpoint in this chunk of, of, of scripture, then I think what we're going to see are some striking similarities in the two blocks that fall either side of it. So from verses 8 to 14, verses 15 to 20, I think we see a lot of similarities that can help us. And sometimes I think it's, it's good for us to recognize when we're reading through scripture, we recognize these patterns, recognize these repetitions. The Spirit has clearly guided Luke to write in this way. And so what, what might we learn through that? Very often when we see repetition in this way, it's because something is being emphasized for us or we need to take special note of something. Well, let me outline where, where I see that repetition taking place and then we'll move our way through these verses as I said, I think the break is between verses 8 and 14, 8 to 14, and then verses 8, uh, 15 to 20. In a sense, it's the two scenes, the first scene in the field, the second scene in the town. And we see in, at the start of, verses, uh, start of verse 8 that the angel comes to the shepherds. The angel comes, that's the activity that's happening there. The angel comes to the shepherds. And then so much is brought to the shepherds. They're brought this good news and this wonderful message. In verse 15, uh, 16, 17, 18, we see that the, the shepherds are the ones who are active now. They go to the town. They go to Bethlehem. They go to see this thing that has been spoken of to them. And so we see this activity at the start of each block of someone going to a place, particularly with a message. And then we see in the second block, we see the good news being declared. We've just heard that wonderful good news of the angel declaration today in the town of David. A saviour has been born. And then when the shepherds go into the town, they also go and they spread the word about everything that they had been told. The good news is declared. And both sections seem to end then with this praise of God. In the first, set, in the first setting, the angel, an angelic host join the, the messenger angel and they declare glory to God in the highest heaven. And the shepherds return glorifying and praising God. And so we see this pattern. Uh, this repetition almost of how these two sections break down and as I said sometimes when we're reading that in scripture and we see that um, th there's something to be emphasized there by how that's happening well what is the case here in this section what's being emphasized well in the middle of each section uh, is the amazing declaration of the good news in the first instance it's the angels declaring today in the town of David a savior has been born 
In verse 17, as we said, it's the shepherds that they spread the word concerning what they'd been told about this child. And in both settings, it's clear that this good news message that was brought was then meant to be passed on. This is not a, a private email. This is, this is not a closed group chat. This is a good news that was to be spread. As the angel said, this news will cause great joy for all the people. So all the people need to hear it. And we've already spoken about what this good news is. It's the news of the birth of the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And as we mentioned earlier, this is such good news. And it is such good news because without this news, without the coming of the Savior, without God's salvation plan, then we face an eternity separated from him. But with this plan, then we, have a, we await an eternity with him. Without this salvation plan, we face an eternity paying the penalty for the sin that keeps us separate from God. But with this plan, we face an eternity with him because that penalty has already been paid. Without this salvation plan, we face an eternity of his right and just and holy judgment of our sin. But with this plan, we face an eternity of giving him praise and glory and honour for his goodness and his rescue of us. This is amazing good news. This is indeed something to be declared, something to be shared. And this is the good news that we find at the, at the centre of these two little sections in this passage. But it's not just the centre of this these two little sections. This is the central theme of the whole of Scripture. This is the most crucial news that anyone can ever hear, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. That's why we remember his birth every year at Christmas. It's why for many of us as Christians, we celebrate his birth, his coming, his dying, his resurrected life. That's why we celebrate that every single day. This is the good news. And Christmas is a good news occasion. And as I said, it's this good news of the baby who is born that we find in the middle of each of these little sections. But getting back to these verses, we can see that each of these good news sections, they're preceded by some activity and then they are followed up by God receiving praise. And so in verses eight and nine, we see the activity in the form of the angel coming to see the shepherds. And in verses 15 and 16, we see the activity as is the shepherds going to Bethlehem. Now, clearly these two events are not the same. See, the, the role in the shepherds, the role of the shepherds is very different in each case. Uh, and I want to take each one in turn. So verses 8 and 9, let's read these words together. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And then we have that wonderful declaration that we've read. And so we see here that it's the angel who's doing all of the activity. Uh, the shepherds are relatively passive in this encounter. They're, they're keeping watch over their flock at night. And then suddenly it's the angel who appears to them. It's the angel who speaks to them. It's the angel who brings the good news. And the, the shepherds simply receive all of this. It, it all happened to them. And this is actually a really important aspect of the Christmas story. And in some ways it fits with our theme of an unexpected Christmas. You see, the shepherds were recipients of this good news. They, they didn't necessarily seek it out. They hadn't done anything to deserve hearing this good news. They, they didn't receive it because they were perceived to be clever enough or important enough or somehow strategic enough, certainly in our minds. 
They received it because God graciously gave it. That's the only reason. They received this good news because God graciously gave it. We we might expect there to be some kind of qualification or credentials for the shepherds to be the first hearers of this good news. But no. Perhaps it seems a little unexpected that God chose this group of sheep watchers. But that's his gracious act to them and indeed to us. And in that gracious act, we see the pattern for how this good news would continue to be spread. You see, we live in a world that says that you you got to earn your way, that you got to work your way up to sit at the big table. The message is that, that anything of value doesn't come freely. And there are some settings in which that may be true. But when it comes to the good news of Christmas, indeed, when it comes to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is not the case. The point is, none of us deserved this first Christmas. It's not as a result of our own merit or our own goodness that God sent his son. Nor was it the response to our looking for him that he sent his son. No, he was sent as a gift, a gracious and loving and sacrificial gift for each of us. Note the words that the angels use when they talk about this baby who had come. They say, and he says that a saviour has been born to you. The ESV states, for unto you is born this day. Jesus was a gift sent to us. And of course we see this again when we consider Jesus' death on the cross in our place. That God didn't wait for us to ask for it. He didn't wait for us to be deserving of it. He made the sacrifice first. Romans 5, these wonderful two verses from Romans 5, verse 6 and verse 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We didn't deserve it. We were still powerless. We couldn't help ourselves. We couldn't earn our way into God's favour. We couldn't work our way back to perfection. No, Christ died for the ungodly while we were still powerless. And verse 8 goes on, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God graciously sent his son as a gift. Not, not because we had deserved it or because we had earned it. And some of us really struggle with that concept, if we're honest, because the concept of receiving such a great gift that has been given to us is hard to grasp. In some ways, it's totally counterintuitive. It is definitely counterbiblical. But some of us would, would feel better if we could earn it, because at least then we would feel deserving of it. But the point is, we deserve the gift because of who is giving it. We deserve the gift because God chooses to give that gift. God has given the gift. It's not because of the worthiness of us to receive it. God has chosen to give it. And so even if we struggle to get our heads around why, how, then we have to trust that God is God. That he knows what he's doing. That his ways are best. And so he graciously gave his son. His son was sent to us. And so we've seen that the good news is at the centre of this story. We've seen the activity of the angels in the first section. We've seen, uh, I want to now look at the, the activity of the shepherds in the second section. And then we're going to finish by thinking about the praise that is due. 
You see, the shepherds, they hear this wonderful news. They, they, they receive this gracious gift and their lives are transformed by hearing it. This news that they hear, it makes a difference. And that shouldn't surprise us. Remember what the angel had said about this news that he was bringing, that it would cause great joy. This news has an impact. This news does something. And what was the impact for the shepherds? Well, let's read their their response in verse 15 to 18. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. See, they hear the good news about Jesus, the Saviour, the Messiah, the Lord, and they drop everything to go and find him. And not only that, then once they meet him, they spread the word. They, they generously share this good news. There's so much activity here in these verses that the shepherds do. They go, they see, they find, they spread the news. It seems that the lives of these shepherds were changed. The news of this baby, then, then coming to meet this baby, it shifted all of their priorities. I realize we're not, we're not told any more details about what happens to these shepherds or where they end up after this event. But what we are told throughout the rest of the New Testament is that the pattern of transformed lives is what follows the response to the gospel. People who encounter the good news of Jesus, who respond to his free gift of grace, their lives are turned upside down by him and for him. So whether it's the first followers of Jesus Uh, who literally leave their livelihoods and everything they know to follow him. Um, Maybe it's Saul, the great persecutor of the Christian faith, who who encounters Jesus and becomes one of his greatest missionaries. Or or just the countless stories that we see throughout the New Testament letters, particularly of the, the generous and gracious and sacrificial living that's modeled by the early believers as they do life together as church. In each and every one of these settings, the reality is consistent that responding to the good news of Jesus means a transformed life. And and life is transformed not because you have to, not because there are now rules to follow, but, but because you are in such you've been shown such immeasurable grace and love and mercy from God that you want your life to then be given back as an offering to him. It's because we respond to Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord that that we then give our lives over to him. He takes the reins. He has control. We want our wills to be bent towards his. Now now that doesn't always mean that that we have to give up our jobs, give up our homes. Now sometimes Jesus does call people to do those things in service of him. But what it does mean for all of us who claim to follow Jesus is that in every situation we find ourselves in, every situation, in work or at home, in our place of education, wherever we find ourselves, we should seek to show and share the good news of Jesus Christ. This news that has eternally transformed us. And we do that so that others may know the joy that he brings, this great news that brings joy. And ultimately, We do this so that God would receive the praise that he's due. Now I wonder how living this transformed life, I wonder how that practically looks for you. 
as you seek to follow Jesus in every area of your life. I wonder what that might mean. Maybe it's uh, the way you respond to some of the chat and work about Christmas and what it really means. Maybe it's the, the words that you use when other people seem to be being critical of someone. Maybe it's the priorities that you demonstrate to your children at home. Maybe it's the attitude we hold when, when our concerns and our anxieties regarding COVID, when they start to rise, what, what is our foundation? Maybe it's the willingness with which we can speak to other people about our faith. Maybe it's the manner in which we deal with financial difficulty and decisions. Maybe it's these or any other number of things. See, the reality is that in submitting to Jesus, we are submitting all of ourselves to him. We seek his way. We seek his heart for these things and for every other aspect of our lives until we reach our eternal home. See, the, the lives of the shepherds on this first Christmas were radically changed by the good news that came. And so if you have heard that good news, I wonder how your life is marked by it. Now I'm aware that sometimes speaking in those ways can sometimes evoke an unhelpful sense of, of guilt. Um, Maybe we feel unworthy because we look at our lives, we examine ourselves and we realise and we appreciate all the areas in our life in which we seem to fall short of what we would expect a follower of Jesus to do and to live. But, but can I explain that, that that unhelpful sense of guilt, and there's maybe a right sense of guilt in that where we're, we're being convicted by the Spirit to change our priorities, but there can be an unhelpful sense of guilt that can become the motivation for why we want to change and why we want our lives to be marked more for the glory of God. You see, the motivation that we should have for allowing God's power to move in our lives, it's the Holy Spirit who is at work within us. And the motivation that we should have for releasing more of ourselves to his service is so that we give glorious praise to God. He's the one who deserve it, deserves it. And that's, that's how these two sections end. In verse 14, we see this great company of angels who join the, the messenger and they praise God by saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then at the end of the shepherd section of verse 20, we see the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, the response of the angels and the response of the shepherds to this wondrous good news of the arrival of Jesus was praise. And for us, it's the same. We need to recognize Everything that God has done and therefore rightly come before him and give him the praise that he deserves. And we do that by giving him our all. It's as a sacrifice of praise, an offering of praise that we give ourselves to him. Now, now we're going to focus on this idea of worship um, in a little bit more detail next week when we consider the Magi who come to visit the baby Jesus and bring their gifts to him. But it's important for us to appreciate today. That not only do the angels praise, not only do the shepherds praise in response to this good news message, but so that is how we should respond as well. Praise is the right and fitting response to not only everything we've seen here, but for for everything that we have seen God do in our own lives. That's how we respond to this good news. That's how this good news brings great joy when we live our lives totally spending ourselves to give praise to God. So whether it's with our voices and what we say and what we sing, or whether it's in our hearts as we and what takes priority there, 
or, or in our actions and in how we treat others in all of our lives. Let's give God the praise that he deserves. He is so worthy of it. So in these verses in Luke's gospel, we see some great things. We see the good news of the baby born, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. We see the activity of the angels, which reminds us that the salvation plan of God was initiated by God himself. It's an act of extraordinary grace and love that this baby comes to us. And we see the response of the shepherds when they go That on hearing this great news, their whole lives are are impacted and they go, they see this new baby and that leads them to spread the word about him. And all of that leads to God receiving the praise that he so rightly deserves. So yes, in many ways, this first Christmas was unexpected for many. And, And in a myriad of very different ways, Christmas 2020 is going to be unexpected for many of us. But I pray that as you prepare yourself to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, that you would hear the good news of the Saviour, the Messiah, the Lord, born that you might know him, that you may marvel at the gracious hand of God who put this wonderful salvation plan into action, and that your life might be transformed by his spirit at work in you as you live your whole life to give him praise. This is the good news that brings great joy. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born for you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for this good news, the wonderful story of that first Christmas. We thank you, Father, that you came that you humbled yourself to, to stoop into your world, even though, Father, we're the ones, humanity were the ones that messed it up, that had turned from you, that, had, that were living lives of sin, yet you came to us. And therefore, while we were still sinners, your salvation plan came into action. And so the baby born in Bethlehem would grow into Jesus, who would hang on the cross, bearing the penalty of my sin, so that I may know you. I may know forgiveness from sin. I may know fellowship with you. I may know your spirit and dwelling my life, therefore equipping me to live the life that you've called me to as I seek to obediently follow your way. Father, this is indeed, indeed, this is indeed good news that brings great joy. And I pray, Father, that in a year where joy seems to be sapping, in a year where hope has been fleeting, in a year, Father, where many of us have, have struggled to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Father, I pray that this good news that brings great and lasting joy would give us encouragement that you are still God, you are still in control, you are sovereign over all things. And so may we cling to you as our Saviour, our Messiah, our Lord. And Father, for For those of us who know you, would you help us? Would you help us to more faithfully and obediently follow you? Father, for those uh, who are are listening in, Father, who maybe don't know you yet, God, I pray that you would give us the grace, give us the humility to lay our lives before you, to plead for your forgiveness, to confess those sins that put you on the tree. And therefore, Father, when we know your redeeming love, 
May we live our lives in, in a way that glorifies you and that speaks of you to other people. So equip us all, Father, to continue to be so captivated by this wondrous story that we show and share your love to the world around us. And ultimately, Father, we pray these things and we want to live our lives in a way that gives you the glory and the honour and the praise that you alone deserve. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen.